Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Film Spotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button. The thriller Black Rock, co-written by Mark Duplass, stars Katie Asselton, Lake Bell, and Kate Bosworth, and is available on demand during its theatrical release. Pieta is also available on demand while it's still in theaters. The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on cable. The Art House is now in your house. This episode is also brought to you by Shutterstock.com. With over 700,000 high-quality video clips, Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use offer code SVU5. From New York City, this is Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit. I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. And this time on SVU, find out whether we'll shower praise or scorn on Lee Daniels' soapy murder mystery, The Paperboy. Yes, Streaming Video Unit has never been a more appropriate title for this show. Yes. Before that, we'll bring you cue shots, our look at some of the current offerings on various streaming and VOD sites, all centered around a common theme. Inspired by The Paperboy, we were tempted to do a podcast about the films of Zac Efron, uh, but after we consulted with our attorneys, they determined that would technically be a violation of the restraining order Mr. Efron has against Allison. <laughs> so don't worry, Allison. We'll get that lifted someday. And he will star in your screenplay, The Notebook, but starring Zach Efron and Allison Wilmore. It's very good work. It is. I actually was impressed. You Thank know, you. I, it was better than I expected it to be. <laughs> but nevertheless, instead, we're going to look at some more movies like The Paperboy that feature great moments in over-the-top acting. But first up is Opening Break, a segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies On Demand On Cable, in which we spotlight a few notable titles that are new on demand on cable. Allison, what's our picks this week? Um, first off, it's starting on May 21st, is the Zellner Brothers' Kid Thing, uh, which will be new on VOD. The Zellners are Austin-based filmmakers and very nice guys who maybe are best known for their short films, which they've been making for years together. This is their second feature film. The first was Goliath. Uh, it, this one premiered at Sundance last year and is now finally just coming out. Uh, it's an interesting film about a little girl who spends a lot of her time alone, played by Sydney Aguirre. Uh, Annie is the name of the character. And 
it's a study of kind of how children entertain themselves in a way. She's 10 years old. She's almost, she's very neglected and she's almost like part feral sometimes. She just like, she, she, she goes and like attacks a birthday party at one point and steals a present from uh. the girl. Uh, but the whole, the film also revolves around this really interesting and very dark scenario in which Annie finds a well that has a woman trapped in it, this kind of hole in the ground. And, and this woman tries to ask her to find help and kind of bargains with her. And she doesn't seem particularly interested in helping this woman. Mm -hmm. She brings her, you know, food sometimes and throws some things in. She kind of talks to her and this woman is like her companion, but she doesn't save the woman. And it's not just like a portrait of kind of child psychopathy. It's nothing that easy because sometimes you wonder if the woman is actually there, but also it's the way that it's, she kind of has the cruelty that children can just have, you know, where you don't really have a sense of like the right and wrong in place yet, where you're just kind of toying with this woman who's trapped the way you would like, you know, ants that are burning. Thank you for calling AAA Auto Parts. Quality is our top priority. How can I help you? You broke my car. Excuse me? You broke my car. You broke your car? Y E S. Yes. What are you talking about? You broke my car. Yeah, I get that. Who is this? Your worst nightmare. What kind of car is it? A Lamborghini. A Lamborghini? Did I stutter? Uh, so it's a, it's a really interesting portrayal of a child, and it's got a really it's got a really well done performance from uh, from the lead actress who is not cute. She is not like your typical kind of uh, adorable child performance. It's something very it's much more challenging. So it's a really interesting film, and I'm glad that it's finally coming out on VOD. That is starting on May 21st. I I've seen that movie twice actually, and I really like it. I think this is one. Uh... It's worth checking out. I would definitely encourage listeners to to check it out. Yeah, it's not an easy film. It's not, you know, it certainly doesn't hit the obvious sort of like cute kid coming of age notes at all. It's kind of the opposite of that, but a very interesting movie. The Zellners are in it themselves, and they, yes. they're really funny. They're sort of the comic <laughs> relief, and they're hilarious. And uh, the end of that movie is amazing. Yes. I mean, it is a it is a punch in the gut of, yes. a, of an ending, but it is fabulous yes fabulous ending one of the best endings in a while it'll t- it'll just kind of leave you kind of just sitting there like speechless i think so yeah i i definitely recommend kid thing yeah also coming to vod on may 28th is laura uh, directed by kate shortland i think i was pronouncing it lore before but so it's, it's spelled actually l-o-r-e yes. if people are looking on their vod list exactly okay. and shortland is an australian filmmaker she did 2004 somersault which was a kind of breakout role for abby cornish and seems to have a gift for finding, you know, promising leading ladies. The the lead actress in this, Saskia Rosendahl, is getting a lot of attention for her role as a title character. So it's about five siblings in Germany, uh, just after World War II, who are traveling in the country to get to their grandmother's house. Their parents are in the Nazi party and just disappeared rather than face, you know, the consequences of uh, after after the war. 
and they meet up with a concentration camp survivor who kind of help ends up helping them as they're you know going across this war ravaged country and it's gotten a lot of uh it's attracted a lot of critical praise i've heard a lot of good things about this movie yeah also new on demand as we mentioned in our intro is black rock which is directed by and stars katie asselton was co-written by her husband and the league co-star mark duplass it also stars lake bell and kate bosworth and the two of them along with katie asselton play childhood friends who meet up to go to an island that they used to go to when they were young it's kind of a bonding slash reconnecting trip but they run into these three uh hunters who are former soldiers who are out there and then things start to go wrong after one of the characters kind of goes to hook up with one of the guys and then changes her mind and then it's becomes like uh deliverance is one of the, th- the deliverance for girls deliverance is, the, is what girls. the hilarious pull quote on the poster says yes and who wouldn't want to see that just from that pull quote really <laughs> yeah <laughs> Honey, so, look, it's Deliverance for Girls. Yay. Um, the movie is supposed to be good, though. I is, mean, I think that's pretty silly of a, of a of ad, a, yeah. but the movie itself is supposed to be very good. Yeah, and, you know, it's always uh, – Katie Asselton is an interesting kind of up-and-coming filmmaker as mm-hmm. well as an actress. Yep. And it's just – it's interesting to see – uh, a female-led take on a thriller like this, on a mm-hmm. kind of survivalist thriller. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it's, a, it's one to check out. And it's definitely a change of pace for both Asselton and for Duplass, who are known for their comedies much more. That is currently available on demand. Allison, we're very pleased to have Shutterstock.com back as a sponsor for us on this episode of Film Spotting SVU. And at Shutterstock.com, you'll find the perfect video for your next creative project, whether it's for your website advertisement, multimedia presentation, or other type of film project. You can choose from over 700,000 high-quality video clips, 2D animations, or 3D motion graphics, and they have clips in a variety of digital formats, and most come in HD. Uh, They source these video clips from around the world, and they put them at your fingertips, and they come from many contributors who are professional filmmakers. And they review each video individually for content and quality before adding them to their library. They add 10,000 video clips each week. So every time you visit, you'll find something new. Shutterstock gives you the assets you need to bring your projects to the next level. And they make it easy with search tools that allow you to drill down by category, by clip resolution, by contributor, and more. And you can save all of the clips as you find them to a clip box that allows you to access your selections anytime and share them with your team members. Shutterstock is a complete offering that includes excellent customer service and 24-hour support throughout the week. They have flexible pricing. You can choose between individual clips or video packs. You can download clips in HD or save them in standard definition or web formats, and they have a huge library of photos, vectors, icons, and infographic templates. You can try Shutterstock today by signing up for a free account without a credit card. You just start your account, you start using Shutterstock to help imagine what your next project could be like, and you save your video selections in your clip box, and once you decide to purchase, use offer code SVU5, and new accounts will receive 30% off any package. So that's Shutterstock.com, and for 30% off new accounts... Use offer code SVU5. And we thank Shutterstock for their support. Who are you carrying all those bricks for anyway? God? Is that it? God? Well, I tell you, let me give you a little inside information about God. God likes to watch. He's a prankster. Think about it. He gives man instincts. He gives you this extraordinary gift, and then what does he do? I swear, for his own amusement, his own private 
cosmic gag reel. He sets the rules in opposition. It's the goof of all time. Look, but don't touch. Touch, but don't taste. Taste, don't swallow. <laughs> and while you're jumping from one foot to the next, what is he doing? He's laughing his sick ass off. He's a tight ass. He's a sadist. He's an absentee landlord. Worship that never. Inspired by the paperboy, we thought we'd take a look at other crazy performances in films. Now, uh- this could mean a lot of things. I feel like there are some people who are just known for crazy performances. Mm-hmm. There are other people who are capable of surprise crazy performances, right. which sometimes is a bit more enjoyable. Agreed. Because, Agreed. You know, it's it's like, oh wow, here's this person I not, I think about in very serious context suddenly acting crazy and showing right. on the scenery. Right. Yeah. I. I have a soft spot for Brad Pitt's role in 12 Monkeys for this. It's interesting that Brad Pitt, I think, is can be a kind of boring leading man sometimes. I think he's like, he's a really handsome guy and he looks great on screen, but sometimes seems to have trouble anchoring a movie as the lead, but is really interesting in, in supporting roles a lot right. of the time. Or like, Burn After Reading is another one where he's kind of... Yeah, verging on crazy. Yeah, Maybe not a, quite as crazy. A lot of a lot of fun. And yes. sometimes he he seems to be dying for a chance to do really eccentric roles. Right. And Twelve Monkeys may be the best example of that, where he is like twitching and crazy. His eyes point in different directions, right. and he seems to have you know more life to him than he does often on screen. And that's certainly true. But on the other hand, it can be fun to see someone who's crazy. You know, sometimes the people who are crazy a lot are crazy a lot because they're sort of like the masters of it. (laughs) So like a guy like Jack Nicholson, like, you know, he certainly hasn't done too much crazy stuff in recent years. But back in his heyday, you know, like that's what that's what you were going to see a lot of the time was unleashed Jack, you know, the shining, you know, with all his his madness. I don't know if there's ever been a better crazy performance than Jack Nicholson in The Shining, which sadly is not really available for streaming, but... Yeah, a lot of the kind of best choices for this were not available. Yeah. Uh, you know, we wanted to give a shout-out to Al Pacino, who really, he doesn't seem able to scale it down really right. these days. Right. He only can kind of go over the top. Right. Uh, I wanted to give a particular... Uh, Shout out to an otherwise terrible movie, Jack and Jill, which has really <laughs> this unbelievable Al Pacino performance in it as himself. It's hard to even put in context, you know. It's somehow... It, 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 he almost makes that movie worth watching he single-handedly. He does, and especially when he raps about Dunkachino. Don't spoil it! Do not spoil what Al Pacino does at the end of this it's movie. so good. It is good. It is good. Another one that I would recommend uh, just the Al Pacino part, although there's, that's not true. I would also recommend the Christopher Walken part, and it is available on streaming, but we're not going to give a full pick to it, is Gili, the god-awful movie. Gili right. includes uh, Al Pacino. At the end of the movie, he appears. He's like the guy who's hired Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez to do whatever they're doing in that movie, and they, they go to see him at the end, and he has this one incredibly long scene where he just escalates and it's just unbelievable how loud he gets and i just remember like one of the lines he says is like you do not extort a federal effing prosecutor you know and it that's like him at an eight and then he goes up to a 10 or a 12 or a 15 or a a hundred right it's just crazy He, he starts at the eight usually right he doesn't he doesn't necessarily do the slow burn 
No. <laughs> Slow burn and Al Pacino are words that are not often used together. Or The Devil's Advocate's another great, oh, great, great, crazy one. Al Pacino Fantastic. performance. But not on, that one's not on Netflix, unfortunately. Yeah. And some other kind of classic actors who are known for their mm-hmm. for their ability to, to go big. Yes. Klaus Kinski. Absolutely. He's probably maybe the most famous. Right. Uh, Crispin Glover. Yes. Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas. Jim Carrey, Jim lately, Carrey. especially. Yep, yep. Uh, Michael Sheen in the Twilight movies does something oh, really wow. special, I think. he's uh, th- There's a laugh that he does in the the latest one <laughs> that is worth... I think there's probably a clip on YouTube. In fact, I'm positive there is, and it's amazing. It is transcendent. Yes. Yep. So, you know, I, I think that we've got a few picks here, and I feel like... We, we're doing a mix of some that are kind of ridiculous performances and some that are appropriately, appropriately ridiculous. ridiculous. So let's well, let's before we get to the picks in a very quickly what what makes a crazy performance acceptable? What makes it fit into a movie? Where does it? How do you make a crazy performance work? Well, I think that it's more about the movie than it is a performance at right, that point. Right. You know, like if can a movie accommodate this performance? Does it make sense in the context? If you mm-hmm. feel like someone is basically ripping through the fabric of the movie with their performance, if it breaks. It, it, it consumes everyone else in the movie. I think mm-hmm. it's usually not a good performance, right? right? Or it's usually, it's ridiculous because no one around it matches. So you have to know your role. You have to know your movie and you have to, you have to make sure that the movie is suitably large to accommodate a performance that large. Is yeah, that, I think so. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's very fair. All right. Should we get to our picks? Yeah. You want to start? What's your first okay. choice? My, my first choice is one where I think it fits really well, okay. which is Bad Lieutenant. Mm. This is the 1992 film but directed by Abel Ferrara, a man who knows his crazy very well. <laughs> uh, this is streaming on Netflix as well as on Epic's streaming service and Redbox. Um, you know, Harvey Keitel... Not, not necessarily as prone to kind of jump at the chance to go big as some of his uh, colleagues who came up at the same time, uh, though he does do he's <laughs> boldly gone into full frontal nudity, like few other male actors. Um, but Bad Lieutenant features a performance that just escalates into this kind of magnificent breakdown. Uh, and what's works so well about it as he plays his title character who smokes crack, does drugs, has threesomes, gambles heavily, <laughs> drinks, uh, is that it builds that he is he is a bad lieutenant from the beginning, but it it kind of builds up to this scene in which he's investigating the rape of a nun and he has this scene in a church where he has gone to talk to her and he wants to convince her that he's going to go after the guys who raped her and and she says she's forgiven them already and it creates this moment in him where he just has his breakdown in the church and he he like curls up on the floor and he moans like a wounded animal and it is this incredibly committed performance you know he's like yelling at god And it works because it's like Kaitel just puts ultimate trust in Ferrara in this. You know, he like surrenders to this vision Mm -hmm. and it doesn't feel ridiculous because it's so it's such this act of like commitment to what the movie is about, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's a really good Kaitel performance. And, you know, this is one of Ferrara's better films. It's really 
uh, it's really got much more of a sense of coherence than some of his other movies can, which they sometimes just ramble. Uh, and I think that it's a great use of someone just like building on this performance until it reaches this crescendo uh, in a way that doesn't feel ridiculous or like so showy that you're aware of the acting mm -hmm. so uh, that is bad lieutenant it is currently streaming on netflix it's an excellent pick and i think we should just very briefly mention that there was <laughs> right. a remake of bad lieutenant even though it the, it's remake quality we're, we're kind of like debated by the the two directors yeah it's sort of a demake it's yes. like it has no bearing on the original film <laughs> other than, than the, title the title and the concept yes but there is a crazy performance at uh, the center of that movie, which we don't need to talk about because I suspect the man who gave that performance may come up. I think he will. A little later in the show. All right. Well, that's a great pick. I mean, just the definition of a great over-the-top performance because it's crazy, but it's, it works in that movie. Uh, my, my pick, I don't know if it works. I guess maybe it doesn't work quite as well. It's certainly not as good a movie. It's not as respected as that movie. But I have a really soft spot for this movie. And when I saw that it was on Netflix, I rewatched it. And I got to say, I kind of like this movie. Maybe it's nostalgia. I, but it, it does have a great over-the-top performance in it. And it's Blue Chips from 1994 <laughs> with Nick Nolte, another actor who's known for his intensity and his – he's sort of one of those guys who I think more than Keitel is like he is kind of crazy in a lot of his movies. And certainly outside of the frame, he's known for being especially crazy, which he brings to a lot of his movies. And in this movie, he's basically playing Bobby Knight, the famous college basketball coach. He's playing this college basketball coach who's fiery and as you know, quick-tempered and – and uh, is very frustrated with the the way that his program is kind of falling apart. And he's a man of high morals, but he so wants to win so badly that he compromises them by sort of succumbing to temptation and gaming the system and trying to buy players. And one of the players he finds and then kind of, you know, tries to convince to come to his university is Shaquille O'Neal, sort of a young Shaquille O'Neal playing. I believe his character's name is Neon Boudreau. His <laughs> first name is Neon I like that. It's kind of amazing when Shaquille O'Neal, whose name is Shaquille, plays a character whose name is crazier than Shaquille. <laughs> That's kind of amazing. Uh, but Nolte is really, really great in this movie, and it, it does fit the role. I mean, if you've seen Bobby Knight, if you've seen – I'm sure if you went on YouTube and you, like, typed in Bobby Knight outburst or Bobby Knight crazy or something like that, you would see some really insane things that Bobby Knight did on the court in real life. You know, when he would lose his temper, he would lose his mind. And Nolte really goes for it. He apparently, like, shadowed Bobby Knight for a while to to learn about him, to sort of capture him in the performance. And even though he's not playing, quote-unquote, Bobby Knight, he does a great job of, of playing that type of guy. And I, his introduction to this movie is great, where it's a, basically his halftime speech to his players. And he's, like, introduced, storming into the locker room and just screaming and cursing and throwing things i mean just the number of things he destroys in the first scene alone he destroys <laughs> a water cooler the base of the water cooler he's throwing chairs he's screaming he's cursing at these guys i don't talk christ you boys the only joy i have right now is i don't have to watch you guys play two more games god damn it
It's fantastic. And then at the end of the movie, I, I won't spoil what happens, but he gives like this very long speech. Kind of like uh, – like it reminds me a little of uh, Pacino in The Devil's Advocate where it's just all screaming. you know. Or <laughs> That's not true. That one starts – he starts lower. It's a slower burn. But when he burns at the top, he's burning at, like, you know, the fire of a sun or something <laughs> like that. Just way over the top. It's great. It's great. Then the movie doesn't have a great reputation. You know, it's from, like, that era when Friedkin was kind of just doing, like, work for hire roles. But uh, I find something very likable and watchable about this movie. I think it's worth watching. Certainly it's worth watching for Nick Nolte's over-the-top performance. So that's Blue Chips, and it is available on Netflix. All right, my next pick is also a blue movie. It is Ooh. Blue Velvet. I love how we did that. It's yes, unbelievable. It's, a, it's, it's, it's amazing, the themes that we find here. Uh, blue Velvet, currently streaming on, or currently for rent on Amazon, iTunes, and Voodoo. Written and directed by David Lynch, 1986 film. Uh, and, you know, in this case, it's, it's really defined in, in many ways by this performance from Dennis Hopper, who has been known to go over the top. You know, you can look back at his immortal turns as the villains in Waterworld and Super Mario Brothers to uh, highlights of his career. <laughs> May he rest in peace. Um, but, uh, you know, this film, it has this, I mean, the performance that Hopper gives is this, like, just crazy like black hole of a performance it's amazing and the film is remarkable in being able to accommodate it it, it makes perfect sense in this like dreamlike noir of the film you know lynch is is a master at creating this very these very untrustworthy realities that have dream logic and I think one of the things that makes hopper's Frank booth such the ideal monster in this kind of story of a small town seedy underbelly is that everyone else has these touches of of darkness to them including the main character who's the, the boy detective you know played by Kyle MacLachlan that that it for with if everyone has those darknesses in them then you have to have someone who is this in, like you know like tornado basically to have him be like the real frightening character and he is i mean the scene with the gas mask the kind of famous scene uh is so disturbing just because you don't know you have no idea what's going on you know like it's just it's filled with kind of actual violence but also this weird emotional violence you don't like and and the fact that frank booth is frightening and violent but also like kind of capable of switching in a second to being like maudlin and right. sad right. Uh, is is something that makes him more frightening like his he's like he's like the worst scariest bar drunk right like the guy at the bar <laughs> who's like at one moment is like sobbing over the song you know uh on the radio and right. then the next moment like smashing Smash a glass, glass. in his face Yeah, and I, I that's it's, a good. Yeah, I can see that. That's a good comparison. Yeah, it's it's a really it's a great performance from Hopper, and I think it's it also speaks to Lynch's ability to create a particularly twisted reality that yeah. it doesn't just break the movie in half. He also seems legitimately unhinged at times. Like he doesn't seem like he's playing crazy. Right. He seems crazy. Yeah. There, it's so committed. Yeah. It's something. And I think that's, it's part of the reason it works so well is that like, it doesn't seem actorly at all. It seems right. 
it seems genuinely off. Like you would be frightened to be on set with Dennis Hopper in that movie, which I think is, I mean, that's a remarkable bit. That's a remarkable performance. It speaks to that. Uh, and, you know, it holds up so well. Like this movie in general, I think is, it holds up incredibly well. And, and, and Hopper in particular, in going so over the top has created something very memorable. Mm-hmm. So that's Blue Velvet. It is currently for rent on Amazon, iTunes, and Voodoo. That's a great pick. My next pick is uh, is another interesting combination of director. You know, like we couldn't figure out how to get Kinski and Herzog in here, mm-hmm. and they were such a vo- you know such a great example of like a really volatile actor who was just like pushed to new heights by a du- great director. And I feel like this is another pairing, not quite as good as that one, maybe. But I think a similar kind of vibe where you have a really inspired, really dedicated, really crazy, intense performer who was pushed to great heights of madness by a great director. And that would be John Waters and Divine. And the film that I'm picking here is Female Trouble from 1974. It's available on Amazon and Vudu. And it was funny when I mentioned to somebody last night at a bar that we were doing this podcast and this was our topic and I was going to do one with Divine. They're like, oh, you're going to do Pink Flamingos. And I was like, "Uh, actually... I'm going to do Female Trouble. And Pink Flamingos is a, I mean, maybe not a great film, but a fascinating (laughs) film and an interesting film and a fun film and a crazy film. And Divine is certainly crazy in that. And the famous thing at the end of the movie is that Divine eats dog crap. Yes. Like literally a dog poops on screen. It's a take, yeah. Yeah, it's all in long, it's like one long thing. The the dog poops, Divine walks over, scoops it up, puts it in her mouth. And it is, that is like the definition of crazy, basically. But somehow Female Trouble her performance as Dawn Davenport is like somehow even crazier. And if you made a list of the crazy things that Divine does in this movie, we could literally be sitting here all night talking about them. I mean, Divine literally has sex with herself. Uh, she plays, <laughs> he, she plays both parts of this sex scene. It's where, a great scene. <laughs> uh, this guy and, and he plays, you know, Divine and also this guy who picks uh, Dawn Davenport up on the side of the road and they have kind of like disgusting sex <laughs> on the side of a road on like a soiled mattress and divine is playing both parts uh what else there's this amazing nightclub performance at the end of the movie where she's <laughs> jumping on a trampoline but not well not gracefully like falling over and like strutting and screaming and touching herself and making these lewd gestures and then takes out a gun and starts shooting at the audience thank you i love you Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my black little heart. You came here for some excitement tonight, and that's just what you're going to get. Take a good look at me, because I'm going to be on the front of every newspaper in this country tomorrow. You're looking at crime personified, and don't you forget it! I mean, this is the like this is to me is like the epitome of over the top, but in in a context that works. I mean, it is a John Waters movie, so everything is heightened, you know, and and everyone is crazy, and and so it, it's just a mesmerizing performance, you know. Again, she starts as sort of this like troubled, kind of deadbeat, delinquent teen, and we see her rise to I don't know greatness. I don't know what. I mean, by the end of the movie, Divine. Her face has been scarred by acid. She's mainlining uh, eyeliner, which is in this in this world of madness is sort of like a drug, like heroin. She like shoots it into her veins. She's got this crazy mohawk, these, this unbelievably over the top uh, uh, makeup on her face, wearing these outrageous outfits, and just constantly like I mean, it's so manic. It is so over the top. 
but it is so fabulous. I mean, there are just scenes where you're just me- you're just mesmerized by the power and the magnetism of this performance. Uh, I, I really love female trouble. I mean, Pink Flamingos is the most famous one, and everyone knows the the dog poop scene and all that. But I love female trouble. I, that's my favorite. Well, maybe it's my, I don't know. I like a lot of John Waters movies, but if you're looking for a performer going over the top in the most delicious way possible, I recommend Female Trouble. It's available for rent on Amazon and Vudu. I'm a big fan of Female Trouble as well, and it is also. I mean, uh, Pink Flamingos has a bit more of a stunt aspect to it whereas it's it's like a performance it really defines there is some stunty aspects there's a lot of like really kind of horrifying sex scenes in Uh female trouble there's a lot of attempts to shock uh but there's i think there's a little bit more uh kind of a nuanced is definitely not the right word (laughs) but there's a bit more of like a a pointed kind of comedy there it's you know like the satire is a little funnier yeah there are characters that are clearly like you can tell their jokes instead of it's sort of like so crazy you laugh, you right. know? Yeah, yeah. All right, well, my next film is, say, maybe on a, it's a slightly different type of film than the first two I mentioned. It is the classic 1997 film, Con Air. Oh, God, yeah. you have been so excited I to have talk been. about this It was this the first movie. one. I'm like, now I'm going to talk about it much more than films by Abel Ferrara and David Lynch. <laughs> uh, it's available for rent on Amazon, iTunes, YouTube, Google Play, and other services. Directed by Simon West, it was his directorial debut. Produced by Jerry Bruckheimer, of course. And, you know, we had to pick a Nicolas Cage film here. We had really, to. Like, had there's no, no way we could talk about this topic without including Nicolas Cage. Right. And, like, Cameron Poe is hardly... Uh, Cage's nuttiest role. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's possible to really pick one nutty role. Maybe Neil Butte's The Wicker Man. That's got a pretty <laughs> great acceleration into madness in it. Um, yes. And a lot of, like, hitting and punching of women. <laughs> to be <laughs> like, fair, Allison, he doesn't punch all of them. Some of them he kicks in the that's neck. That's true. Okay. Lily Sibievsky, I think he gets drop kicked. Um, <laughs> anyway, but, you know, like, uh, Con Air was really made at this tipping point in Cage's career. Leaving Las Vegas was 1995, right? The Rock was 1996, and Con Air was 1997. And kind of after this point, he was like, he was Nicholas Cage, as we know him in, today. In all really. caps. Yes. Uh, and, you know, in both The Rock and Con Air, he does this interesting thing where he's almost like doing an impression of a leading man as like maybe one who suffered a a serious head injury. Like there's something just off about it in the rock as well. I mean, the rock is a very enjoyable, like big action film, but he's really weird in the rock as well. And he's really weird as Cameron Poe in, in this film. He's got this like magnificent mullet. He's supposed to be, you know, like he's this good guy who's gone to jail for this kind of this unfortunate accident, but he's done his time and he's going to finally be reunited united with his family and it's just such a like it's it's played fairly straight in the most ridiculous way i don't remember the the part where he like someone's digging through his stuff and finds like the proof that he's actually been released he's not an actual prisoner anymore he's like they have the standoff where he's like looking at the bunny that he's bought for the stuffed rabbit he's bought for his child yeah put the bunny back in the box I knew you was a punk, and I was right. You were playing us all along. You a free man. I said, put the bunny back in the box. And then, like, you know, escalates it, and then there's a fight. And I, but you know, I think the thing that makes this movie a really enjoyable pit of like main, like studio 
flotsam is the fact that it's <laughs> it's just like a symphony of actors offering their craziest selves. There's a lot of you crazy. Know? Like every edition of a new character is like crazier than the next. Yeah. Uh, you know, John Malkovich as Cyrus the Virus Grissom is an equally crazy performance. It may be actually crazier than Cage's performance in this film because he's just he just chews the scenery relentlessly. He also uses them. I think there's one part where he says like the bunny's gonna he like threatens the bunny as well. This stuffed rabbit. I mean, there he it, he makes fun of like uh the letter like a cage's uh, character received and reads it in this high voice because it's supposed to be the kid like it's a ridiculous ridiculous performance from malkovich who can also do crazy has been known to do crazy uh, you know you've got danny trejo as serial rapist johnny 23 steve buscemi as garland green who's kind of the poor man's hannibal lecter and like presented as kind of adorable right like he's like he becomes like a kind of good potential good guy even though he's like beheaded all these women <laughs> Like uh, uh, and uh, Dave Chappelle is in there. Even I, if you remember this, he sets one on fire, gets thrown out of a plane. Um, the only one who isn't acting completely over the top, ironically, considering our main review, yes, is John, John Cusack, Cusack. Yeah, who who plays like maybe the only. He's the recognizable, cop, right? yeah, yeah, like kind of ridiculous, but like recognizable human being, yeah. as opposed to everyone else who is I don't know what they're doing there. But I, I, this movie is so ridiculous and stupid that it's a lot of fun, and uh, I think just the fact that like everyone in the movie has been told that they are divine, you know, <laughs> in their own personal right. pr- prison plane movie uh, makes it a pretty enjoyable kind of artifact of the era. That is Con Air. It's available for rent on Amazon, iTunes, YouTube, and other places. All right. Well, our last pick is an obvious one, but really, how, I mean, how could we not mention it? How could we not include it? It's one of the all-time, maybe not great, but memorable, crazy, <laughs> over-the-top performances, probably in a movie. I mean, it's hard to say. Like, I'm trying to, I'm sitting here trying to think. Is this a mo- is this a role where it fits the movie? No, not at all. No. But the thing is, it's it consumes the it movie. It defines whole. it. it de- yeah. Exactly. Thank you. It defines the movie completely. And that's Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford in Mommy Dearest, directed by Frank Perry, and it's available on Amazon, Google Play, Vudu, and YouTube for rent. And uh, this is basically one of the strangest mainstream Hollywood movies I think of all time because it's basically about how horrible. A movie star is, you know, this great movie star from Hollywood's golden age, Joan Crawford. Uh, and it's based on this memoir that was written by her daughter who hated her her mother and basically wanted to get back at her mother for what she thought was a horrible, painful childhood by writing this seedy tell-all memoir, which was then turned into this even more seedy, even more uh, tragic uh, biopic, I guess, starring Faye Dunaway. Uh, in in this role, and all she does in this movie is is be crazy. It's just totally over the top, in a way that I think has come to be seen as kind of just wonderfully trashy and tragic and defining commitment in a way that is just like really a, a bad idea. This was a bad idea from start to finish, but it's so unbelievably committed that you sort of kind of begrudgingly admire the committedness of it, even as you're, like, chuckling at the sheer over-the-top nature of it. I mean, just scene after scene of Faye, Faye Dunaway with all this schmutz on her face, screaming at her daughter. Wire hangers. No wire hangers. Tell, yeah, throwing wire hangers at her, waking her up in the middle of the night to, I think, chop down a tree. <laughs> It's been a while since I've seen this one. I didn't have a chance to rewatch it, but I remember chopping down a tree in the middle of the night. I remember her uh, uh, challenging her to races in a pool, like to the point of exhaustion. 
She's just horrible. She's a horrible woman, and she's insane. She's completely insane. No wire hangers! What's wire hangers doing in this closet when I told you no wire hangers ever? Work till I'm half dead, and I hear people saying she's getting old. What do I get? A daughter! Who cares as much about the beautiful dresses I give her? And she cares about me! What's wire hangers doing in this closet? Answer me! The movie makes no attempt, really, to redeem her or justify her behavior. She's a horrible person. And it is fascinating to watch. And it's not a good movie, but it is an amazingly weird and over-the-top performance. One of the defining crazy over-the-top performances in the history of movies. I don't know what else needs to be said here. I mean, it's just, if you've never seen Mommy Dearest, it really is a sight to behold. I mean, I wouldn't expect a great movie, but I would expect a memorable movie and a memorable performance from uh, Faye Dunaway. That's available on Amazon, Google Play, Vudu, and YouTube. Take hands on the Smothers Brothers. I oh, don't know if this is show. Oh, I love that show. I love Dick and I love Tommy. Well, lay down. Let me be you for oh, a second. Oh, yeah, right. Give me a show. Oh, you want me to make I get to be you? Okay. Jack. Okay, I love this. Jack, back in it. Oh, good. Okay. You're wait, wait, go back. Go back up. Okay. I better start drinking up Allison, there's no ballot box stuffing or hanging chads or really chicanery of any kind in, in our listeners' choice reviews. We pick the three titles we're most interested in talking about, and from there we let the will of the mob decide. You know, we, we might sometimes prefer one movie over another. But generally, we don't campaign. We don't beg listeners to vote the way we want them to. But I kind of wish we had this <laughs> week. We gave them three choices. We gave you guys three choices to choose from. You had Sun Don't Shine, which was this indie noir from this up-and-coming director, Amy Simons, that I, I'm really looking forward to seeing. I know, uh, I know you are, too. Uh, we also gave our listeners the choice of I Spit on Your Grave, a movie I'm not really looking forward to seeing, but I was curious about. I'd never seen a, a certainly a... A, a famous movie and probably an interesting one to discuss. And last but least, uh, The Paper Boy. And we were hoping, I think, for Sun Don't Shine. And we were resigned, I think, to I Spit on Your Grave. But audience, you guys really wanted to hear us talk about Lee Daniels' swampy Florida noir starring Zac Efron as a college dropout and former swimming champion who, along with his older brother Ward, played by Matthew McConaughey, investigate the conviction of a death row inmate in order to determine whether he is innocent of the crime. The movie also stars John Cusack as Hilary Van Wetter, who is the alligator hunter <laughs> turned death row convict, and Macy Gray as Efron's family's maid who narrates the story from some point after the events, and also Nicole Kidman, Nicole Kidman's hair, Nicole Kidman's crazy southern accent, and Nicole Kidman's urinary tract as Charlotte Bless, a lonely woman who writes letters to prisoners and connects via the post with Hillary, becomes engaged to him through the mail service, and then the first time they meet in person, 
pleasures herself while he stares and grunts at her and touches himself from across the room. The aristocrats. <laughs> now, Allison, when we proposed the Paperboy as a listener's choice option on our last episode, you said that while you didn't enjoy the movie the first time you saw it, you did think there was a lot there to say about it. Now, having seen it a second time, something I was pretty sure I was never going to do, what exactly do you think there is in this crazy movie that is worth having a conversation about? Well, I think that one of the things is just the performances, particularly Nicole Kidman's. Mm -hmm. You know, we picked the theme for this, like the larger theme for this episode for a reason, which is that it has, this film has Kidman in a role that really is very little like the one she often plays, which is like she plays these kind of aristocratic or these like glacial, these regal characters. And here she is just like, she is just like a uh, Southern belle gone wrong in a lot of ways. She's, she's very sexual. She's extremely kind of, you know, like not just like promiscuous, but like a sexuality is something like this, like definitive to her character, right? Like it is how she approaches the world. She kind of flirts with everyone and sleeps with uh, several of the characters. And it's, uh, it's just like a, a kind of amazing performance as much as it is also, hard to grapple with like it the movie doesn't seem to justify that kind of committed performance you know like the movie itself is so incoherent we were talking before we recorded this about the central kind of mystery in the film that it starts off with which is that this corrupt abusive local sheriff was murdered right and you know hillary John Cusack's character is the guy who's convicted. Right, is convicted, and they're looking to free him by saying, like, this trial is obviously unfair, and all of that. And it seems like he probably didn't do it, but we never find out who did. If that's the case, it just goes away. Like, the whole mystery aspect of it just dribbles away. Yeah, I'd like to formally and publicly apologize to Top of the Lake for everything (laughs) bad I said about the murder mystery, or the mystery in in that story. Because... This movie makes Top of the Lake look like, I don't know, Chinatown or something. Like, the mystery aspect of this movie is so horrible. But anyway, continue on. I just wanted to get that out there. Yeah. You know, you have just also John Cusack's performance, which is even... Hillary Van Weta. It's just crazy. It is utterly crazy. He's kind of channeling John Voight in Anaconda, where he's like, he's very slick. His hair is slicked back, and he's leathery. And like, he like associates with, he's like an alligator hunter or... He skins alligators or whatever he does, and and he like seems to look kind of like an alligator, sort of like how John Voight channels snakes in that movie. <laughs> yes, and uh, I don't know if it's to the benefit of the movie, but it's know, a it's very fun. it's another very committed performance. It's committed, you know. And I think that the the part that I will say is just works about this movie is the weird and kind of like uncomfortable physicality of it. Like I don't know maybe any other movie that this has this amount of like like bodily fluids in it even you know like not just the urine in the infamous scene of peeing yes uh or the semen uh that uh stains the pants of john cusack after Mm -hmm. his prison encounter that everyone witnesses or the blood that a certain character sits in a pool of yeah or you know even the alligator guts that we're treated to a scene with the alligator Uh guts or it's just like everyone is covered with sweat all the time too you know everyone is like it's hot it's a florida summer and everyone is just like glistening all the time like there is a sense of like just act, the actual physicality of all of these characters in a way that I think is pretty rare in a film. And 
and just like uh, just like the kind of animalness of a lot of them you know like the romance if you want to call it that between uh charlotte bless and hillary is like just so animal like they not like the prison encounter scene and then a later one is just like they're both like there's something like almost not human about the way they grapple with each other and it's i don't know that i've really ever seen that not that i know that i was dying to see that right but you know it is unusual and i think disturbing in and in a way that is impressive and most other aspects of the film do not work for me at all yeah yeah i i don't know i mean it's a movie that i feel like i should like like there's a, why there, well just just the way i mean i there's something about lee daniels as a director that i admire even if i don't like it just because he goes for broke you know he's willing to do things that other people don't do he's yeah. willing to put these things on screen uh, yeah. and at least attempt to tackle them attempt to talk about them not just sex but there's like you know there's stuff about race in this movie and about the the era the politics of the era and and the social mores of the era that you know a lot of uh, filmmakers just wouldn't want to touch you know and and like you said there's something very tactile about this movie and upfront about it it doesn't shy away from the seedier elements of this movie and the story and and to a certain uh, to a certain respect i begrudgingly admire that about it but his his touch is so awkward and blunt and in your face and so just random i mean there's so many there's no elegance to this movie whatsoever about the story like we said the murder mystery is terrible and it's like what is this movie about ultimately yeah. is it about the mystery is it about the the character of zach efron who's like coming of age in this very seedy corrupt world it seemingly not because he's not really the center of it you know like he's totally overwhelmed by the crazy characters around him you know, is it about race in the late 1960s in Florida? Because there's a few characters where race plays a very big role, including Macy Gray's character, the maid, and also uh, Ward's, uh, Matthew McConaughey's writing partner, Yardley. You know, his character is, like, really angry. Yes. And just, Super like, angry. And it's such a weird character. It, he's like, British. He's... Yeah. We won't say any more than that. But, right. he, you know, he's walking around with this really haughty attitude. You know, not entirely undeserved because right. he's treated poorly by everyone in this world with a few exceptions but just it's so you know it's like there's no sense of perspective or it's just everything is so extreme you know that's the thing it's like there's no modulation yeah there's no base level i just i just walk out of this movie so just like kind of like depressed (laughs) i i did an interview with lee daniels once it was for the movie he produced i don't remember what it's called uh starring mariah carey uh but I asked him one question. He had me on speaker and I asked him one question and it was like the op- like your typical opening softball, like, you know, tell me about how you ended up being a producer of this movie. And then he talked for half an hour. Oh my God. <laughs> just like about how he like, how is like, just, like how he came into movies and like in general about how he's like, you know, I directed shadow boxer and people took it so seriously and I didn't mean for people to take it. And so like, and on, and I felt like actually that whole experience was exemplary like of like how he approaches his films as well which is i think he just kind of <laughs> yeah well and he just like whatever strikes his mind at the time right. goes in and no I think, filter whatsoever no filter whatsoever and i think you feel that a lot in the paperboy yeah. it's just like whatever idea he had at the moment just happened yeah like the 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 peeing scene but it's filmed in such a weird way because it's there's like music playing 
and uh, and Zac Efron and Nicole Kidman are on the beach, mm-hmm. and they're kind of fl- like flirting. It's, uh, flirting is seems much more delicate for what they're Ugh. doing. She's like, "You want me to give me a blowjob, don't you?" And then he like gets angry and stalks into the water and swims, and then finds himself in the middle of jellyfish. And the music kind of like cuts out in and out. Like there's something. It's filmed. Like it's suddenly an experimental film, you know, like it's like the, the footage cuts in and out. And then like there's characters on the beach looking at him and then he like flops onto the shore and he's like covered with welts. And Nicole Kidman's character is like furious. that other girls are coming to help him. Right. And, and none of it makes any sense. Like it just, it has no, there's no connection to like what the reality is supposed to be of the scene at all. You know, like, is it a memory? Is it, why is it shot that way? Like there's no coherence to it at all. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of the movie has that approach. Yeah. I mean, that scene is funny because it's so crazy, you know, and and the fact that like, not only is it, you know, a scene that's about Nicole Kidman peeing on Zac Efron's face, like, we see it happen. Like, it's pretty graphic. Yeah. You know, it's not, uh, it's not like there's a cutaway, right? At, like, or a zoom in on her face as she struggles to right. pee. There's a, there's a zoom in on the stream as it, <laughs> as it exits the body. You know, like, that is what he's doing. And I think you've, I think you've kind of, uh, I think you've kind of hit it. You know, this idea that he just streams, stream of consciousness. <laughs> there's this interesting quote. I was looking at a few different reviews of the movie online this morning, and I found this interesting quote from Wesley Morris, who reviewed this movie for the Boston Globe. Now he works for Grantland. And he actually likes this movie a lot, or at least a lot more than me. And uh, he sort of admired the craziness of it. But here was a line from near the end of his review. And he says, I've never seen a movie like this, not on purpose. Daniels isn't saying he's tasteful. He's saying that his tasteless trash is as deserving of our attention as the tasteless trash we feel like we have to see. The whole thing's a crazy fantasy, like watching a porno dream it can win an Oscar. And I think that's an interesting description, but I feel like that's part of the problem for me, is that the movie, while it's trashy, it also seems to have these aspirations of Oscardom. And I don't feel like they serve the movie well, like Wesley Morris says. I feel like they really bring the movie down. You know, if it was really trashy, if it was showgirls trash, I feel like it would be fun. But the movie isn't fun to me. You know, like, it's it's trying so hard to say something, which it doesn't know what, but about race, about this time and place, about homosexuality, which yeah. is a big kind of buried theme throughout the movie, that you can't really have fun with the crazy scenes because in the next scene, there's some horrific violence. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the, particularly the storyline that you're, you're kind of mentioning, I don't which is like a spoil, character but who, who kind of has this, like his homosexuality is revealed. He's a closeted homosexual. Yeah. And it is yeah. like, it's a really disturbing scene. Like the, the whole thing that happens and it just kind of, like when it arises after like you've kind of sus- had suspicions about this character th- like but when it happens like the way it's revealed is so graphic and disturbing yeah. and like goes wrong yeah and it's it does like yeah it's so abrupt it's not it, and kind of effective for what it's doing yeah. but the thing is it's butting up against these other scenes that are so silly and over right. the top and trashy right that it's just you know it it doesn't they, they just don't fit together at all yeah and i think though i i will say that the one like relationship I really liked in the film though there's no real reason like I don't know why Macy Gray's character narrates the film it starts off with this framing device that she is talking about the book that Zac Efron's character wrote Mm -hmm. about this never really comes back to that there's no reason for it to even have that framing in the beginning that never ends no but I think that her relationship with Zac Efron's character is actually really sweet like it's the only kind of 
human seeming relationship in the film because she's kind of like a mother figure to him even though she's not really old enough to be you know his mother she's they have like this real kind of like funny way that they 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 kind of tussle with each other basically and like uh bicker mm-hmm. and and she cares about him and kind of try, like tries to over- and like you know in terms of like as a take on this very kind of classic and like you know stereotype of like uh like the the black maid in cinema yeah it's it's a like a, an interesting and like almost a rebuke of it because she's like a very real character who understands that like she cares about him a lot but also that she's just an employee and there's a really nice kind of scene with them towards the end that I thought was, you know, actually well done. Yeah. I mean, I think their scenes and also really all the scenes with Macy Gray and interacting with the family, yeah. I think are pretty effective. And they seem to, I don't know, you know, if that's something that Lee Daniels is channeling from his own life in some way or someone he knows or a relative, perhaps, that that character is based on. But it really did seem to get at something truthful and honest whereas the rest but again those scenes are kind of almost minimal and like sort of like very small observations about what what it was like you know for these just so casually racist white people the way they treat her right is so horrible well she's also like such a part of their lives the same way yeah right so uh, you have that but then that's butting up against you know like the scene in the jail with nicole kidman and john cusack snarling at each other like you said like animals you know it's I don't know. It's it's such a mess. I mean, the other thing that I think is sort of interesting, although I don't, you know, I think it needed a better actor, even though I know you love Zac Efron. I mean, I know you've written the screenplay and all that right, right. about him, but, you know, he's a handsome guy. I mean, like, and the movie is really, del- it really delights in him. Oh, yeah. I'd say, like, it, it objectifies him possibly more than it does Nicole Kidman. I mean, he certainly his body is on display more than hers. Yeah, he likes to lounge around in his like white underwear a lot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I found something interesting about that just because that doesn't you know, like especially with a guy like Zach Efron who's sort of grown up as a Disney star where, you know, his handsomeness or his sexuality is sort of it's there, but it's so buried beneath, you know, all the layers of, of, of Disney-ness. Yeah. I found something sort of interesting about the fact that the movie is really in love with him. Yeah. And really shows him. I mean, there are a lot. There's one other scene later in the movie where he is wearing another guy's clothes. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, it's uh, it's Yardley's clothes. And then he comes in. He's like, why are you wearing my clothes? Take off my clothes. And then he just strips out of his clothes. Yeah. And, he's and he goes again. and sits in the rain. <laughs> and then he goes sits in the rain with his without any clothes on. Yeah. You know, it's like, I mean, I found something sort of uh, admirable about the sort of the, an- the the male gaze instead of like, you know, the, or the female gaze, I guess. Or I don't know what you would it's call the, it. Like, the male gaze, right? It's I mean, the Lee male, Daniels. It's a different male gaze. <laughs> it's a different male gaze, yeah. So, so there's something about that. But, the, but I, I mean, Zac, Ef- Zac Efron, maybe it's just the fact that everyone else is so crazy that his sort of – his performance is just kind of washed away. But he doesn't really – he's not very charismatic. No. And, you know, I don't – I don't know that I've seen enough of him to say that he's either a good or bad actor. I don't like, I don't think he's a particularly good actor. He's not terrible in this. Like he's not egregiously bad. No. But he definitely he is lacking charisma compared to like everyone else on screen. Right. The only thing that's and, memorable about him here is his body basically. Right. And I I, I maybe another problem in the film is that it tries to make like an almost romance between like he's like fixated on on nicole kidman's which character ridiculous. which makes yeah. no sense also because like she is so crazy from the beginning like she walk you know other than like looking like nicole kidman she walks in and she's just right, but nuts like she looks like nicole kidman now i mean it, yeah it's just, yeah it's exactly. absurd it's but, totally like, absurd. you know and like like the it's supposed to be like he kind of falls for her instantly, he's obsessed but she's with her so crazy yeah right away yeah. and also it they have like a scene together and it's funny that the movie 
like pulls back it's like i think you've seen enough of this and like tastefully like pulls back and you're like excuse me we've just watched your pee on his face now you're like like in good taste i think restraint and, is called yeah, for exactly. here guys don't be pervy about it all right let them have their 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 dignified moment together exactly and it's just it's it's that it never really can manage that relationship at yeah. all all right. Well, I hope you're happy, listeners. Well, I would love if, if someone has like a defense of this movie, I would love to hear it because I think it is like a completely crazy and in, in that way, unique movie. But I, I don't think movie. that it works all that well. No, but I would no. love to hear someone make an impassioned defense. of Sure. It. Send us your feedback about the Paperboy. If you love it, SVU at filmspottingsvu.com. That's our email address. Send us your comments about it. We'd love to hear it. I would, too. And some people like this movie. You know, Wesley Morris, if you want to find Wesley Morris's review of this movie, he's very positive on it. He liked it. There were other people who kind of admired the, the craziness of it. We were, we were less enamored. But anyway, that's The Paperboy, and it's available on Netflix. All right, it's time now for Behind the Eight Ball, where we wrap up the show with three new releases, two expiring titles, and one film chosen blindly from our Netflix queue. There is a problem here, though, Allison. There is a problem. Because since we last spoke with you guys... Netflix has decided to sort of make invisible all of their data about expiring titles. I think when all those titles expired on what was colloquially referred to as Streamageddon, <laughs> they got some bad press. They weren't too happy about that. And I suspect, although I don't know for sure, that they decided that it wasn't worth having this information out there for people to know. So they've pulled back all their expiring information. So uh, we don't know what's expiring now. So on this episode, we're basically just going to do our three new releases and our one random pick, and we want to figure out how we can replace the expiring section for our next episode. We would love to hear from you guys what you would like in that space. Uh, you can email us, again, svu at filmspottingsvu.com. We were thinking we could do, like, three Netflix titles and then two titles from other services like Hulu and Crackle and Mubi and Fandor and every other place we could think of. That's our probably our best option, but... We're not married to the idea, and we would love to hear. If there's something you think this segment could use, absolutely tell us. Let us know, and uh, you know we will perhaps uh, use your idea. So please suggest something like that if you have one. But in the meantime, we're just going to make do this week at least. Allison, you're going first. Are I you am. ready? I am ready. All right, let's start with three new releases. Okay, first up is Another Country. It is new on Hulu. This is a 1984 film starring Rupert Everett in probably one of his best roles as Guy Bennett, who is kind of based on the spy and double agent Guy Burgess, who is one of the Cambridge Five. Um, the film also stars Colin Firth. And they play prefects at a school that is basically eaten. And it's about how they are in line to become the top two prefects, uh, the gods. They're called gods. Um, but it becomes like a really interesting look at the class system in England kind of at that moment. And two characters who are because they are, one is gay and the other is a Marxist really don't see a place for themselves and kind of reject this class system. And so that is another country. It is new on Hulu. Also new on Hulu, My Sassy Girl, which is a 2001 Korean romantic comedy. There is an unfortunate 2008 American remake of this starring Jesse Bradford and Alicia Cuthbert that I do not recommend. But this I would. It's a it's an interesting counterpoint to the idea of the manic pixie dream girl because the main character is manic but all in an incredibly abusive like amusingly abusive way uh the the lead male meets her on the subway platform where she's incredibly drunk and he kind of rescues her she vomits 
And then they have this weird relationship in which she does things like pulls him out of class in college by telling the teacher he's the father of her soon-to-be aborted baby and other things. And they eventually kind of fall in love and you understand why she's so nuts. But it's it's a kind of unusual and sometimes really amusingly cruel romantic comedy. And it, it's pretty fun. It's My Sassy Girl. It's on Hulu. And finally, Step Up to the Plate is a 2011 documentary that is new to Netflix. It's one I really like a lot. It's a food documentary. Uh, it's one of like three kind of like big gourmet food documentaries from last year, along with Jiro Dreams of Sushi and the one about El Bui. And um, it's directed by Paula Cost and is about Michelle Bra and his son, Sebastian. And it's about how Michelle is going to hand off his like famous, I think, three, three Michelin star restaurant or whatever. Three or two, whatever. The highest Michelin star rating. Three is get. the highest. Three is the highest. So he's going to hand it off to his son. And it's about how his son is preparing to deal with kind of like the, the difficulty of inheriting uh, a restaurant from like someone famous, right? Like from a, a legacy that he has to kind of contend with. But the film is also just a great look at like how food can connect to personal history. There's a scene in which uh, Sebastian kind of explains this dessert that he's been working on throughout the film and how it connects to different generations in his family that actually got me a little teary. And mm. like it's it's a great uh, look at both like dealing with a parent's legacy and also just how food gets intertwined with like personal history. So that's Step Up to the Plate. It is new on Netflix. All right. Well, we can't do our expiring title, so how about one random film from your queue? Yes, you give me number 12, which is Funny Games, the 1998 Michael Haneke original film, not the American remake he did. Mm. It's one I've actually seen before, but not for a while, and I wanted to take another look at it so I can be lectured to about my, you know, enjoying <laughs> violence on screen by Haneke. <laughs> what sort of mood would you have to be in to put it back well, on, Well, you know, Alice, it's been... It's how been, hateful would it's been sitting there in my queue for a really long time, yeah. so I am not sure, but that mood has yet to strike me. But, All you know, right. it's a it's a kind of famous movie for a reason, and there are interesting things about it. I just It's not one that's really easy to pop on there for pleasure. No. All right, Matt, it's your turn now. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, three new films. All right, I'm going to start off with uh, The Dictator from 2012, directed by Larry Charles. It's available now on Netflix. This was the most recent Sasha Baron Cohen movie. Not entirely successful, but I thought it was kind of interesting, and I love Sasha Baron Cohen, and I think if you missed it, this is a good chance to catch up with it. You know, you're, you've already got your Netflix subscription. You're not paying anything. He plays Aladdin, this dictator of this imaginary uh, Middle Eastern country who is exiled and kind of overthrown, and he has to try to... Uh, you know, he moves to Brooklyn and he has this very awkward, uh, hateful romance with Anna Faris, who I love, and she's she's fun in the movie. The movie is a mixed bag. It's interesting to kind of watch Sasha Baron Cohen try to marry his his technique and his aesthetic with a more like a fictional movie. Like this one doesn't have the gotcha element to it or very little of it. It's much more a fiction movie, um, and it's interesting to see that work and not work. Uh, there is an amazing speech, though, at the end of this movie. He gives this impassioned speech, which I don't want to spoil in any way, but is kind of amazing and one of the more like powerful political moments in any recent movie. So that's The Dictator. It's available on Netflix. Available on Hulu is the movie Ride with the Devil from 1999, directed by Ang Lee. Uh, this is an underrated movie, I think. This is Ang Lee's Western. It was a huge flop when it came out. The cast is Tobey Maguire, Jewel, and Skeet Ulrich, which I think maybe people were not excited to see this Jewel and Skeet Ulrich uh, Western, perhaps. Maybe they were quick to dismiss it for that. 
But it's actually a really good movie. It's since been put on the Criterion Collection, the director's cut. I haven't looked at the version on Hulu. I'm guessing this is the theatrical cut, which is the only version I've seen and enjoyed. I haven't even seen the director's cut yet. I've really wanted to check it out. But it's a movie about McGuire and Skeet Ulrich as friends uh, during the Civil War. And it's sort of their relationship and Jewel is sort of caught between them. It's a very interesting movie. It is worth watching. I think it might surprise you how good it is. You know, Ang Lee is a good director, but for some reason, this movie just didn't like connect with people. But I, I think it's a, I think it's worth checking out. That's Ride with the Devil. It's available on Hulu. Also available on Hulu is another sort of underrated movie that I kind of like. It's Psycho Two, uh, directed by Richard Franklin from 1983, and arguably, there's never been a worse idea for a sequel than Psycho Two. <laughs> and the end of the movie is kind of indefensible i think the last like the last 20 30 minutes of the movie just go completely off the rails but the first hour of this movie is very interesting and anthony perkins returns he plays norman bates again and you know i'm sure this was a cash-in kind of thing for him i'm sure he was well paid to to do this but he gives a really good performance you know and it's sort of like norman bates gets out of the mental institution or wherever he's been and he goes back to the bates motel and he tries to start his life over and uh, it's it it doesn't go all that well, and then wouldn't you know it, Mama shows up somehow, and there's there's murders and intrigue, and not a great movie, but a very interesting sequel. If you're a fan of Psycho, and I suspect most of you are, and you you feel like you'd be curious to see a sequel, take a look, see what you think. You might just enjoy it. That's Psycho Two, and it's available now on Hulu. All right, one from your queue. You gave me number five, which is Red Lights, the supernatural thriller from Rodrigo Cortez, who I believe was the director of Buried. And uh, I'm pretty sure we mentioned this one in, in maybe in uh, Behind the Eight Ball when it, when it came out on Netflix. And this is uh, starring Robert De Niro, Sigourney Weaver, and Killian Murphy. It's a story about paranormal investigators, and uh, I think De Niro is like a psychic yeah. Have you seen it? I have seen this one. It's got an amazing cast. Right. It doesn't really, I think there's a reason that you didn't, it didn't kind of make more of an impact. But I heard uh, it's kind of interesting to start, but then yes, it falls apart. It does. It, yeah. But it has a really great beginning, actually. I, that's, and that's what I've heard. And so this is why it's sort of on my queue. It's the one sort of thing where it's like, at some point I should at least check it out and give it a try. Much yeah. like you in Funny Games. It hasn't happened yet, but perhaps someday it will. So that's Red Lights uh, available on Netflix. Allison, are you ready to go through next episode's listener's choice options? Yes. Uh, we we probably shouldn't even bother at this point because we have one option that we're – I would say I'm not 100% certain it's going to win, but I'm, I'm like, 100, I'm I'm like 120% <laughs> certain it's going to win. But we'll save that for last. What's yes. the first option? All right. The first option is Living in Oblivion, which is new on Crackle. This is a 1995 independent film directed by Tom DiCillo. Uh, and it's a film about filmmaking, about independent filmmaking specifically, and stars Steve Buscemi as the director, Nick Rev, and then uh, also we got Catherine Keener, Derm- Dermot Mulroney, and James Legros as a character by the name of Chad Palomino, who is supposed to be uh, like a Hollywood star who's doing you know an indie film for for cred. Um, who always, like it was always rumored, was based on Brad Pitt, though uh, the director has denied this. But it's a really funny film. It's got uh, some great kind of looks at the idea of independent film. So that is Living in Oblivion. It is on Crackle. I've never seen that movie, and it's considered one of the great indies of the 90s. So I'm really, I would love to see it. I don't think I'm going to get the chance this week, but I would, well, I would love to see unlikely. it. It seems yeah. unlikely, yeah. Option number two is a film I've been hearing mixed things about, but some very 
intense mixed thing. So it's the sort of thing where some people love it and some people hate it. And that always, that always is worth a look. The film is entitled Pieta, and it's uh, available on iTunes and VOD. This is directed by uh, Kim Ki-duk, the Korean filmmaker. Was the winner of the Golden Lion at the 2012 Venice Film Festival. Uh, Kim Ki-duk has directed films like Bad Guy, Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter, and Spring, Three Iron... The description says it's, it's an intense and haunting story about a lone shark living an isolated and lonely existence who uses brutality to threaten and collect paychecks from desperate borrowers for his moneylender boss. One day, a mysterious woman appears in front of him claiming to be his long-lost mother, and the film goes from there. And again, it's gotten some mixed reviews, but some people think it's fantastic. Some people think it's maybe a little too intense or depressing. It, it's certainly apparently a, not a lighthearted film, not a pleasant, not a, not a fun movie to watch, but... Good director, interesting subject matter. I would also be very interested to see this one as well. It's Pieta. It's available on iTunes and VOD. But we're not going to do that one either, Allison, because right. what's our third pick? Well, our third pick is Arrested Development because, you know, we have to talk about Arrested Development. It's uh, Netflix's resurrection, in a way, of the 2003 to 2006 much-beloved canceled comedy created by Mitchell Hurwitz about a wealthy family, the Bluths, and their many weird adventures as they're investigated for corruption, basically. Light treason, as I light, recall. Yes, light treason. Though sometimes they're like, it might be medium to heavy treason <laughs> as, as the truth comes out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a great show, and it's one that has basically been so mourned by its fans and felt, felt so uh, unjustly canceled that it has somehow managed to be brought back, you know? And all of the cast members, even though I'd say they're m- more famous by far now, Oh, absolutely. Have, come back and manage to come back for 15 new episodes. And I think what's particularly interesting about this is how they've tried to take advantage of the fact that all 15 episodes will be going live at once uh, on May 26th at 12.01 Pacific time at midnight, just after midnight, but partially due to necessity because it was hard to get everyone together again. You know, everyone's got more demands on their schedule now, but they've tried to use a different format from the TV show that one that kind of makes sense in the streaming platform by having it tell different character storylines. So it follows each of the different characters and what they've been kind of up to in the time since the end of the show. And then like you get a sense of the whole as you watch it all. So I'm very curious about that. And also, I love Arrested Development, so I'm looking to forward to it's it. It's Arrested Development. It's Arrested Development. So we kind of figured that'll win. But if you want to pleasantly surprise us also, not that we're regretting having to talk, we'd regret no. having to talk about it. But if you want to pleasantly surprise us by picking one of the other choices, right. the, please feel free to do that right. as well. I mean, realistically, we're going to be watching the new Arrested Development either way. Yes. So it actually would be easy for us to do that. <laughs> but yes. uh, yeah, it does seem like a gimme. But it's a gimme worth talking about, probably. All right. Well, which movie or TV show should we review on the next episode of Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit? You can send your pick to SVU at filmspottingsvu.com, or you can enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. Your vote must be received by Monday, May 27th at noon. After that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account, twitter.com slash filmspottingsvu, and you'll have all that week to watch the film and then join us for our conversation on next week's episode, which will be on or ish Tuesday, June 4th. 
FilmspottingSVU.com is also where you can find our show archive, as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we discuss on the episode. The Film Spotting SVU remixed theme song is by Vince Vandal. You can listen to more of Vince's work at VinceVandal.com. And we will be back in two weeks with more movie recommendations and the review you pick. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Allison Wilmore and slash Matt Singer. You can follow the show, which is at Film Spotting SVU. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice and where we share more streaming suggestions from SVU listeners. For Film Spotting SVU, I'm Allison Wilmore. And I'm Matt Singer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>